So uh, shout out to uh, Carol Smith and Aaron Wislang, who are backstage and who are producing the show and who are on board to produce more of them. So the plan is these are going to be monthly episodes. Um, and uh, Carol, I think, am I allowed, tell me in the private chat, am I allowed to reveal the date for the next episode? Um, so let's see if I can, I can jump in there. Um, so the date is May 3rd. Wednesday, May 3rd will be the next episode. Um, we're still working out our guest invitations and the specific topic. So that will remain a mystery. Um, and we'll shortly be adding that event to the Discord and promoting the aka.ms link for the calendar invitation. Um, in fact, I may have that by the end of this episode. So um, let's get started. Pino, are you ready? Yes, great. Very exciting. Let's do it. Okay, so welcome to Path to CytosCon Episode 2. The topic for today is how to get Postgres ready for the next 100 million users. Um, my name is Claire Giordano. I am one of the co-hosts. I'm here today with Pino DeCandia. Hi, everyone. Um, Pino is an awesome database person who um, is joining us from New Orleans today. Um, and uh, we have four guests on the show who we want to introduce. Um, but first, I want to thank all of you who were joining in the audience. Um, there's obviously, if you, you're listening to me, then you're listening to general stage. Uh, but I want to point out that the chat is in the hashtag CytusCon channel. And specifically, it's in the Path to CytusCon um, EO2 uh, thread. Uh, which has a bit more detail about the topic in that thread name too. So there's going to be a live chat happening there while we're having this this conversation. Uh, so we hope you can join us. And I think I already did the shout out to Carol Smith and Aaron Wisling, who are backstage and are organizing this. If you have any problems with audio or any compliments or feedback, obviously shout out to them. So, and then we are recording this. Um, and there is a code of conduct as well that you can find at aka.ms slash CytusCon hyphen conduct. Um, but the recording will go online on YouTube um, in the next 24 to 48 hours also um, for anybody who joins late and wants to listen to the rest of it. So without further ado, let's welcome our guests. Um, so the first guest I want to welcome is Melanie Plagaman who's a senior software engineer, a Postgres contributor, uh, who is focused on IO performance and IO observability. And uh, she works on the Postgres open source team here at Microsoft. Hi. Welcome. Um, and Samai Sharma is here as well. He's an engineering leader on the Postgres open source team at Microsoft. And he has, um, in his past life, worked with a lot of customers to optimize the performance of their Postgres deployments and their Citus deployments too. I first met Samai um, when he worked for Citus Data uh, before the Microsoft acquisition. Hi, everybody. Maybe I'll jump in here and introduce Abdullah Ustuner. Abdullah is an engineering manager for the Citus open source team, and he's based in Europe. Hi, Abdullah. Hi, everyone. Happy to be here. And we also are lucky to have Burak Yuchasoy uh, as our guest. Uh, he, Burak is a principal engineer who works on the Azure Cosmos DB for PostgreSQL managed service team at Azure. Um, it's basically Citus on Azure. Hi, Burak. Yeah, hi, everyone. And Burak is also a new dad, so I'm hoping he's not too sleep deprived today. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm fine. Good, good, good. It's always good to sleep. Yeah. So when Pino and I were ch chatting about how to start this conversation, obviously we're looking to the future and like how to get Postgres ready for the next 100 million users. But we thought we might start by looking backwards in time and chat a little bit about what your various first versions of Postgres were, like when you first got involved with Postgres. Um, start with you, Melanie. Well, Actually, using 9.6 was my first version of Postgres that I used, and um, I got interested in the C language extension framework. 
And so I don't actually remember what features of Postgres outside of being able to write extensions that I thought were really cool, but that was the first version that I used. Awesome. And Samai? Yeah, mine was 9.2. So I, um, my first kind of Postgres project was writing the first version of Mongo FTW as an intern. So I started working on that. So like Melanie, I also uh, came into the ecosystem via extensions. Um, and after that, I, I, I thought it was really cool at that time that you could use Postgres to query other databases. And Postgres provided the ability to do that with foreign data wrappers. So that got me interested. And uh, yeah, and after that, I worked on a bunch of other stuff too. I'm very glad you became an intern at Citus. Um... And that, that sealed your future with Postgres. Yeah, it did. I, I didn't know I was making such a big decision at that time, <laughs> but uh, I'm happy with that decision. What's, what's, what's your story, Pino? I, I, I know you're not a guest, you're a host, but I'm curious. Yeah, when did you? Sure. So I first got involved with PostgreSQL in mid-2020 when I jo joined Azure to work on, a, on the control plane for Citus on Azure. And um, and my database experience is, was pre pretty limited before that. Um, I did in 2004 through 2007 work on uh, Amazon's Dynamo. This was not the Dynamo DB that's the 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 AWS service, but the Dynamo uh, that hosted the Amazon shopping cart back then. And and we wrote a paper about that. But that so that was one of, that was an early NoSQL database. And uh, and so joining, so PostgreSQL was exciting for me because, of, um, and Citus uh, was exciting because it's a relational database that's distributed. Cool. What about you, Barak? Uh, well, to be honest, I, I don't remember the first version that I started to use Postgres, but the first version that I worked on as a developer was 9.4. And uh, similar to Samai, I also started to work as uh, Postgres with an extension, a Citus extension. And then I also, like, I, I kind of fall in love with the Postgres extension ecosystem. And for a, uh, for a brief period of time, I was also maintainer of a Hyperlog log extension. So yeah, that's how I started to uh, work with Postgres. And for people in the audience not familiar with Hyperlog log, or some of us call it HLL, quick oh, yeah. definition. Oh. Yeah, so so basically, it is uh, uh, it introduces a new data structure, which allows you to calculate count distinct queries in a very fast and memory efficient manner. So normally, to calculate count distinct, you need to keep uh, like the big list of data in memory. But with hyperlog log or HLL, if you are okay with some mathematically bounded error rate it can give you an approximate result uh, in very fast fashion. All right, and then Abdullah, just to set context, when did you first get started with Postgres? What was your first version? Uh, let's see, uh, for me, I think it was late 2021. Um, at the time, uh, we were building a low-code application platform, and we decided to go with Postgres at the time, I think it was version 13. Um, so compared to others, uh, my introduction to Postgres has been relatively recent. And until a couple months ago, I have been on the other side of the fence, really kind of using Postgres uh, for our product lines. And uh, since February, I've joined the uh, Citus team and uh, now kind of working on closer to the technology itself. Uh, Cool. So it's yeah, actually... can I can I interrupt you for a second? I'd love to know uh, uh, get the same answer from you. I know you've been involved with Postgres for a long time, and you're. I got in... I got involved in the nine .x days as well. I think it was twenty seventeen, um, April twenty seventeen. Uh, so uh, and I had no idea how much I would enjoy being part of the Postgres community. I remember going to like my first PG Confi U with trepidation. It was in Lisbon and I wasn't sure what to expect. And I wasn't sure if 
you know, it would be clubby or clicky. Would I be welcome? Would it be inclusive? And um, I made friends and started to get to know people even outside of the CITUS team um, that, you know, I was part of at that point. So, uh, yeah, 2017. And I, I do have to say, I, I dropped it in the chat, um, but for the audience, uh, for, for, the, uh, for the audio audience, um, Claire was on PostgreSQL Person of the Week recently, so I dropped uh, a link to that, but you can also just search Claire Giordano, PostgreSQL Person of the Week, which I think is a great honor. Well, you know, Andrea Sherbaum started the Postgres Person of the Week thing back in the beginning of 2020. I think it was right before COVID hit. Um, and he does these written interviews, and there's a new Postgres Person of the Week every single week. He's he's actually got a, quite a backlog now. And um, he, he's always looking for new recommendations of new people. He's trying to be as inclusive as possible. And so there's a lot of us that have been Postgres Person of the Week. And it's really fun because you learn things about people in this global community that, that you didn't know about. Um, Melanie, you've done one of those, haven't you? Yeah, in 2020, I think. Awesome. And I think Samai, I thought I saw an interview for you as Postgres Person of the Week too. Is that right? Yeah, mine went out a month ago in March, I think. Oh, okay. I think what's interesting is as part of doing the interview, uh, Andreas asks you to recommend, uh, you know, four or five more people to interview, which I think is really cool because that kind of increases the graph of people he could interview. So I, I found that to be an interesting thing. So I think um, we probably should pivot to the, the reason for today, which is how to get Postgres to the next um, 100 million users. Um, but I, I, we did have two more free things that we wanted to talk about. Um, because Postgres 16's code freeze has been just happening over the last couple of weeks, and, and of course, um, you know, Postgres 15 feels like it released yesterday. Although it wasn't yesterday, it was it was probably six months ago now. Um, I'm just curious whether there are any recent Postgres features that any of you think are the cat's meow that you think are amazing that might be new to people in the audience. Who wants to jump in first? Uh, I'll, I'll jump in. Like it's not a specific feature, but I really love the. Uh, improvements regarding logical replication uh, in Postgres because I think it is like all, all these improvements are setting stage for something quite big in uh, future releases, both in Postgres and also as an extension or as a what you can do with Postgres. Uh, because when you have a logical replication set up and like if it's satisfy certain preconditions, then you can do a lot of cool stuff like bidirectional replication or zero downtime uh, failovers or zero downtime upgrades. So like, I, I think it's not fully ready yet, but it's, I think it will be a huge thing when all these little pieces come together and uh, it, it would allow us to create and do a lot of uh, awesome things with Postgres. On that note, logical decoding on physical standbys was merged. Now we've had the feature freeze, but not the code freeze. So, I mean, still tentative what's actually in 16, but that was one of the features that's been worked on for years. And that is a pretty huge step forward. That's actually a really important clarification because we're doing this recording now. It's going to go up on YouTube. And if someone listens to this in six months or 12 months and the exact final contents of PG-16 changes between now and the release, which will come out when, Melanie? This September, this October? Usually in September, yeah. Exactly. So we just, just want everyone to always go double check what's actually in PG-16. Um when the final um, release is cut. Yeah, Melanie and Burak both uh, combined stole my answer. So now I have to think more to give a new answer. <laughs> but I think one thing which I found really cool for 15 um, was uh, around the removal of uh, the stats collector and storing stats in shared memory. I mean, I'm very passionate about, uh, you know, giving the right data to users so they can decide uh, you know how to tune their postgres database and things like that so i think just 
um, that feature uh, allows you to actually store much more statistics. Uh, and I think Melanie greatly leveraged that to actually work on PGStat.io for Postgres 16, which is also something which went in. And I think there's room to capture more statistics in PGStat.io and also around, you know, vacuum statistics or checkpoints, etc. in uh, views and tables instead of just in logs. Uh, like more statistics about these things so i feel that's also very cool uh, kind of a, a good base for building many more features on top of yeah the old stats collector was it was pretty hard if you wanted to add reliable new statistics to as a feature uh there's just a lot of aspects of it from an architectural perspective that would make those statistics difficult to act on so i think actually like that's one thing for potential contributors to think about is that the statistics subsystem now is uh, much easier to add on top of, and there's lots of room for suggesting uh, and proposing new types of statistics. I think just recently we had um, some contributors from Dalibo propose a whole new set of different types of parallel query statistics for 17. So there's lots of room for that. Thanks, Melanie. Can I chime in and remind everyone? So this is a um, th this live show is a pre-event for the for CitusCon 2023 that's happening next week on April 18th and 19th, and both Melanie and Samai are going to give talks there. And I'd love for you all to give a quick um, blurb about what your talk is about. Maybe Melanie, you can start. Sure, I'm going to talk about the uh, new statistics view in 16 called PGStat.io that um that i contributed and it's just going to be about how it gives you additional io observability in different scenarios where you can use it to sort of uh understand the causes and potential solutions of different uh, bottlenecks and performance issues in your instance and Thank your you. talk, your talk is part of the America's live stream. So it's actually happening. You're delivering it live next Tuesday. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and my talk, uh, it's a recorded talk was, uh, well, is going to be released uh, next week. But like uh, it was, it's titled Optimizing Postgres for Write Heavy Workloads featuring checkpoint and wall configs. Uh, I think the goal of that talk is like, I mean, obviously there's a bunch of things you can do in the application side uh, to kind of optimize for your write heavy workloads. But if you are at the point where you need to squeeze more performance out of Postgres by tuning some of its parameters, like max wall size, checkpointing related ones, uh, like wall compression and those kinds of things, BG writer. So it is gonna talk about all of those concepts in terms of how you can squeeze more performance out of Postgres for write heavy workloads. Thanks, Amai. And and I guess uh, the recorded talks are going uh, to be um, available at the start of the event. Is that right, Claire? Yeah, they all um, get pushed to public on YouTube um, probably like five minutes before we start. So everything's going to be available to watch um, starting on Tuesday, except obviously for the EMEA live stream, which is on Wednesday morning European time. Yeah, I can, I'm so excited. All right. So I, I think it's time to dive in to um, the future and uh, how to get Postgres ready for the next 100 million users. Um, I think I think I want to start with maybe the, a user-focused perspective. So Samai, you've worked with a ton of um, Postgres users. Uh, are there any common challenges that people run into that you think future versions of Postgres could avoid? So I think I'll answer this question in kind of two parts. One of this is kind of challenges they run into and how we can resolve them. And also the user profile for Postgres is, and, and for all databases in general, is going to evolve over time. So I'll kind of answer that in two parts. I think from a, a current, uh, I mean, one meta topic, instead of going into specific things, is how do you configure Postgres well? I think that's a challenge, uh, common challenge for users. Uh, we have a lot of configurations, which is a good thing, but is also makes it like there's not a very clear roadmap or a manual on how exactly all of them interact with each other, what data should you monitor to decide which configs to change. So it's very um, common to see, you know, tuning mistakes uh, from users. 
So like some examples, like this really is actually David uh, pushed a patch around renaming one of the config parameters because people were using it uh, for a completely different reason than what it was expected, uh, than what it was designed for. Another example is, you know, the auto vacuum max workers where people, like if your auto vacuum is not catching up, very commonly you'll just up the max workers thinking more parallelism is gonna help. And it doesn't unless you also adjust the cost limiting parameters and, and other things. Uh, Workmem also, I mean, if you ideally everybody should read documentation and figure out how exactly to do things, but people run out of memory and then they decide, oh, I'm running out of memory. Let me increase my Workmem, which actually increases your probability of running into an out of memory because that's a per operation thing. So if you have a lot of operations and you're saying each operation can use more memory, that leads to kind of uh, more problems. So I feel in general, from a tuning standpoint, we have many configs and the data we expose from a stat standpoint doesn't really kind of tie you to, okay, this is what you need to change if you see this in your data. And that's also in, in the documentation for the stats views, we have quite a few, uh, you know, statistics documented, but kind of the implication of it for a DBA or a developer, I think we need to do a better job of that. Uh, one, I don't know if this is a sub part of this, uh, but I think like memory related statistics are uh, lacking, I feel. So uh, we do have now like with PGStat IO and other work like more IO related statistics, but it's hard to estimate how much memory a query will be using. And by extension, it's hard to actually make sure that it uses that much by setting limits and whatnot. Workmem is kind of per operation. So it's not necessarily uh, giving you a good bound on how much a particular query can use. So I feel these are kind of just problems which users uh, keep facing around tuning and optimizing uh, Postgres, which is why I give uh, uh, talks around this topic because I feel it's uh, it, you can squeeze a lot more from Postgres. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of make another small point around the changing user base, right? Uh, so, <clears throat> I mean, previously, like I, I've been working with customers for seven to eight years uh, and previously users used to have DBAs and folks who kind of understood uh, their full-time job was to maintain and manage databases. That's also very on-prem centric view, which is over the over time moved to cloud. Um, and in the cloud environment where like, I mean, more and more users are now running Postgres on the cloud. Uh, so it's easier to run instances uh, or to get instances. So people don't necessarily invest as much time in understanding all of these concepts. So I think that's something we as a community and as a product, uh, like and not just the product as in Postgres core, but also the managed services around it need to evolve to make it easier for such users to make the right decisions uh, around their Postgres setup. So yeah, that I would say is, is the main things which I feel are challenges. Okay, that's a lot to unpack. I also, um, so I'm just going to say, I think that defining what you mean by the next 100 million users is important because like if we're talking about 100 million users that are going to migrate from other existing databases and are even somewhat sophisticated, like I would say, like, but if we're just talking about numbers, that's different. Like, are we talking about people that are in college and they, for their project, are they going to choose MySQL or Postgres? Like, that's a totally different set of problems. Like my sister-in-law's in college and used MySQL instead of Postgres because she couldn't figure out how to deal with the pghba.com, right? Like, and MySQL made it easier. So I, I think it's really important, like what kind of question we're asking. We work for cloud providers, like the most of the people in this panel. So we have a totally biased version of this, but like the question is which 100 million users are you talking about, right? Well, that's a really good question, and I suppose it's up to us. I mean, the fact of the matter is, if we fast forward 10 years, all those people in college now are not going to be in college anymore. And they are, if they're building applications, going to be choosing a database to run it on. And um, and so I think we have to care about usability and getting started and and, you know, those kinds of roadblocks that they're going to run into, as well as the fact that, you know, people who are experienced change companies, move jobs, start companies, and they're making decisions as to which database to go to as well. And are they going to choose Postgres or not? And, and if so, why? 
bring up a very good point melanie i think for users who essentially are not using cloud providers they still like their challenges are going to be more around you know failover auto failover failure detection all of that like how do we set up ha properly uh, how do we set up you know backups uh, and restores uh, properly uh, you know we do have some components in postgres but i personally would like to see more of those problems kind of solved in postgres uh, because there are you know tools around it uh, but i mean there are quite a few and people often don't know which one to pick and if they pick it they don't know which one to kind of how to use it and whatnot so i think if we can solve some of those problems in core i think uh, in the longer term that's probably better and on the open source team we may mostly hear from people that are sophisticated enough to like email a mailing list right so there's a bunch of different biases in terms of what users were actually serving. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I think one similar aspect or one other way to think about this is that I think the future users will be more demanding because you know the like ten years ago the committee was not that big like you could attend a conference and you would meet like lots of almost all key people in the community. And when the community is smaller, I think people are usually more forgiving or they are more willing to look past from the problems they hit. And I think as the community gets bigger, like people will be more demanding. Uh, they will, like for example, similar to what Samai said, they will want uh, Postgres to be more easier to use or like they want HA to be set up much more easily. And, you know, I think they, they will demand this in a, in a good way, because like today we are boasting about how PostgreSQL is very reliable and greatest database of all. And, and I think that increases the expectation. And I think it is up to us as a whole Postgres community to satisfy or live up with that expectation. Just to add to what Brock just mentioned, uh, in addition to expectations, I think one pattern I have noticed, and I, I spend a lot of my uh, time on the other side of the fence, uh, you know, building applications, services that actually use different, you know, database platforms. Uh, one challenge I see is uh, teams and, you know, engineers who get started on a project don't necessarily know all the different requirements, all the different needs they will eventually have uh, when they get started. You know, it may be a prototype stage, it may be an incubation stage. And uh, what happens usually I see is people uh, kind of, uh, lean on their muscle memory, you know, based on like what experience they might have with them, you know, uh, different DB or uh, somebody in their team. And uh, with limited knowledge about what they may need going down the line, it's really hard to choose, uh, you know, Postgres or some other uh, platform and uh, how to even get started. So I think in terms of like, you know, uh, documentation may not be the right term here, but uh, for somebody who's starting uh, on a project, like how can we guide them? How can we make it easier for them to choose and to get started and to better understand as their needs evolve, uh, you know, uh, to a more advanced stage, uh, how they can start configuring and tuning their systems accordingly. I think that's going to be uh, one of the, uh, I guess, differentiating points, uh, I, I hope for Postgres. I mean, yeah, um, sorry, I, I was just going to say, I think one of the things is people are, I mean, I see, uh, you know, blogs all the time saying using Postgres for X, Postgres for Y and whatnot. And I think that ties to Burak's point of, you know, uh, users getting more demanding because now Postgres has a very diverse user base. Uh, like people are using it for queues, for Mongo replacement, for, uh, you know, running NoSQL-like workloads, for running, you know, traditional OLTP workloads, for OLAP workloads. So I think just the demands are very diverse as well in addition to just being kind of just more demands but they're also coming from a very diverse audience so i'm trying to figure out how much of our time today we should spend thinking about those users who are just getting started or those college today's college students who are tomorrow's um co-founders of startups who are tomorrow's um you know, leaders even in in large organizations. So you mentioned your sister-in-law, Melanie. Like, mm -hmm. do you have strong opinions about things we should do in the Postgres world to make it easier for people to choose Postgres to begin with? I mean, I think that there's a lot of things that we could do. I, I, I think some of them, 
I just, from her experience, like using MySQL, the initial experience was better. And there, I think there are things that we can do, but there, it's also a question of like, well, how do we spend our time as developers, right? Like our, um, the ecosystem, the number of people working on the ecosystem and core together, it's like a pretty small number of people if you compare it to, yes, we have a lot of contributors, but like, there's actually so much work to do, right? So like the the total number of people, if you compare it to like SQL Server or something like that, it's, we have a lot. So we really have to prioritize. And I think one thing that Samai says pretty often is that like, we could be more data driven here in terms of how do we like, what are the different interest groups or segments uh, that are relevant here? Like, and what are their needs? And so how should we spend the time given that we definitely don't have infinite time, right? So like, I think uh, the example of, you know, for example, people be like a small technical thing that I thought of earlier was, okay, well, as people's requirements change for their Postgres and running Postgres instance, like they want to change their configuration, they want to, you know, change various things. And like, even that sometimes is not that easy. There are certain gucks that you can't change without restarting your database, right? Like, and that's something that is for technical reasons and something that like for some of those things we could actually change. But it's like, is that the is that the most important thing? Or is it more important that we adjust some of the systems around like auto vacuuming and buffer pool management to make them like uh, more like feedback driven or uh, like based on the workload and that kind of thing. So there's like so many things we could do. And essentially how we choose what we work on as people contributing is pretty haphazard, right? So I'm curious, um, is, is the origin uh, for where we are now that um, the Postgres community is focused on on production workloads and and being perhaps very extensible and uh, uh, to for, for and 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 on experts and and so do you see signs that will start changing direction and accommodating new user uh, new user types? Well, what would be the forcing factor for that? Right, like we're getting paid by companies, either cloud platforms or like there's you have to think about incentive structures right so maybe and so maybe the answer is that some of the communities that surround postgres can help do some of that work like uh, kubernetes integrations um, like patroni or cloud services um, can can help uh, close the gap in 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 difficulty and maybe well, maybe I'll sorry go ahead I was just gonna say even talking to authors of extensions that are that are uh, the extension ecosystem. So not so much like Citus, but more like, um, I'm giving Dalibos an example because I've talked, you know, talked to them recently about this, but they maintain, you know, a dozen extensions that are used by their customers for different random things, like, you know, looking at queries visually or query plans visually or, doing things with authentication or whatever. And they have lots of things that they would like to see changed to make their work easier, but the extension ecosystem and is like, it's less centralized than like the hackers mailing list or whatever. So I think that the other parts of the Postgres ecosystem outside of just uh, pe you know, people working on core and people requesting features that would go on core, like, I think they were describing that they feel like that ecosystem could be organized maybe in a different way. And I think one thing to um, add to what Melanie said, Pino, is also one of the ways to solve this problem is to find uh, ways to make it easier for newer people to contribute to Postgres, whether in core, whether via extensions or by building tooling around it, as you suggested. So I think that's also one of the problems we will need to solve as a community is how do we get more diverse people with diverse backgrounds uh you know application developers um to bring that perspective in because uh, maybe one of the reasons why we are where we are is because we have a very similar perspective as a community okay so let's let's jump into that for a second i i next on my list was to talk about what's missing from Postgres um, to work well in cloud services, but I'll put a pin in that question. I'll try to hold my curiosity for a little bit. And let's talk about like how the Postgres community 
can evolve, should evolve to keep up with this growth in usage? Like, how are we going to increase the total number of contributions and contributors into Postgres? And I guess I want to start with you, Melanie, because I know you have opinions on this. How about how we can make it easier for new contributors? Easier or just how are we going to scale, right? Like, you know, I hear stories that people will say, oh, my patch took six months to get reviewed and that's considered good. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's fast. That's fast turnaround. So I mean, like, I, I know what that's like as someone without a commit fit. <laughs> so, um, but I, it's like, we said we were going to talk about this and I thought about it. And the problem is that I have no idea how we're going to fix it. Like, it's really bad. And every single commit fest, we talk about it and we talk about it at our team meetings and we talk about it like, and it just feels like this impossible problem. And like, I think that there are, so first of all, there's technical things that we can make better and that we have been doing. So like Andres had and um several people in the community and um uh andres andres uh, Freund. Freund, yeah and and andres Freund and some other people in the community like worked on having a ci system so like there's like when you you can enable uh this on the like Surus ci website through github and then you can when you have your fork of postgres that you're developing on and you push changes to a branch like you can have it automatically run tests on a couple different platforms and that's super super helpful because a lot of times it's like all you had was it works on my machine right and so like you're i'm not gonna go i mean maybe now but like especially if you're just contributing a patch as a user you're not going to go and like try to test it on windows or whatever so like from just like a technical accessibility perspective i think we've been trying to make changes that make it easier for users um to to contribute but i think that there is just a lack of review bandwidth for existing um committers and like contributors that it just feels like this problem that we've been trying to solve for years and have not been able to figure out how to solve. And like, I don't know that there are good answers to it. I Most of my development experience came from hands-on pair programming for eight hours a day for months with people who are experienced like database internals developers. So I, every time I see someone who's a new contributor writing a patch, I'm like so impressed that people get off the starting line because it's pretty hard. I mean, it's just like, it's not like necessarily Postgres's fault, like contributing in general to a database is hard. And then, you know, you add into it, like the development process being different in the post, you know, Postgres community than it is for a lot of open source projects, since we don't use GitHub and things like that, that people always cite. But I think that like uh, one of the things that can be really hard is like not necessarily getting the attention that you want for your patch. But I think that there are like small things that we can do, but they're not scalable. So for example, like I hold workshops where we talk about how to draw attention to like not necessarily draw attention to your thread, but if you propose a patch, like how, and you get feedback a lot of times, like just the whole thing of like, oh, I need to come up with a minimal repro for this so that people that are reading this email actually like can try the, my feature and have it be um, like that code actually get executed, right? Uh, oh, like someone asked this question, like how do I even think about how to answer it so that the discussion moves forward? And so like, I think just that is the kind of thing that come like, in my in my experience, the best way to do that is like one on one pair programming. And that's like obviously kind of not scalable, right? So like I, I don't I know there are other projects that take contributions from new contributors and are able to like, you know, get them over the finish line. And we do that every release. We do that. There are contributions by people who are not paid full time to contribute to Postgres. But like if we want to scale that, like I just I have no idea how we're going to do it. And we spend a lot of time thinking about it. Yeah. And I think it's a hard problem because the people who can like, so as we have been discussing, there's a whole backlog of things to do. And uh, when we like the same people who can help solve that scalability uh, bandwidth, like by giving mentorship or by, uh, you know, helping create 
processes or uh, things to make it easier for new contributors are the same people who are responsible for making the Postgres pro project move forward to commit patches. So I think balancing their time in, in a way where we are kind of dedicating time for mentorship and for kind of reviewing others' patches, committing others' patches, and also doing the tough projects, the hard projects of uh, pushing things like direct IO, asynchronous IO, like doing those come from the same pool of people. And that makes it really hard to kind of find ways to make progress. I mean, this is a very, um, this is a topic I think about a lot because we have a very diverse uh, team from a seniority level uh, at Microsoft. Like we have committers, we have senior contributors like Melanie who don't have the commit bit, as she mentioned. And we also have uh, who, junior who, who people. Don't, who don't have the commit bit yet. Can I say yes, yes to that whole growth yes. mindset thing here? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and then, um, you know, new people uh, who've joined the team in the last year or so, and their challenges, like the challenges of all three stakeholders, uh, if you can divide it into three, are so different that it's very hard to come up with a solution which works for all of them, right? So I think it's more of a people and a process problem. I think the technical challenges, as Melanie mentioned, we are making progress on them. The kind of larger process problem, I think it's the harder problem to solve. But I mean, we need to solve it as a community. Otherwise, you know, our backlog will just keep increasing and increasing. Yeah, I'll, I'll shift the gear, gear a bit uh, because I, I think we, we can also discuss a bit on like you can contribute to Postgres with things other than code. And I, I think we also have a subject matter expert on this topic in this panel. Uh, Claire, so like you, you are the, you're not one of the speakers, but I, I, I would also like to get your opinion because like I, I know you gave a talk about uh, contributing Postgres in ways other than code. So I, I think this is, th those kind of things can also increase the adoption and uh, overall usage, right? Yeah, I mean, we we're talking right now about the how to scale the code contributions, how to scale the number of patches, the number of fixes, the number of developers. But you're absolutely right to point out that like Josh Burkus drew this wonderful pie chart once where he talked about contributions to Postgres and the code contributions to the core in particular was just a, a small piece of that pie. And then there's the the code development work on extensions, which are outside of the core, but are absolutely a rich part of the, the ecosystem of what users need to run on Postgres in production. And that's just another small piece of the pie. And then there's all sorts of contributions that are really important, right? Translations, translations of error messages, um, just making sure users know where to file bugs so that they get attention, so that they get fixed. Um, there's all the blogs and all the training and all the videos that, that get created and then have to get shared and promoted because if you, if you write it, people will not read it. Like if you build it, they will not come. You need to find a way to get your learnings and your lessons out there. So yeah, there's a whole world of non-code contributions that I think are really important to the growth of any, um, technology community, um, and, and to Postgres. But I don't know that we want to dive deeper than that here today. Um, did I answer your question, Barack, or was there more that you wanted me to touch on? Uh, yeah, that's uh, that, that's awesome. Cool. So, okay. so Melanie, it sounds like people in the community are talking about this at every commit fest, and it's a challenge. And there have been. Um, there are things that are happening that people are trying to get new developers off that starting line and to contribute in each new release, but but you don't have all the answers yet, is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, my like, I think the dream scenario for everyone is that people that are not paid to contribute to Postgres full time can write patches that get committed and reviewed and if reviewed and considered for committing if the feature makes sense, right? Like. We don't want to design an ecosystem where you have to work for a company and are paid to work on Postgres full time to contribute. And I mean, I, I, that's my opinion. I, I, but I think a lot of other contributors would agree with that. We need people who are doing it full time because there's obviously an amount of like just expertise and day to day sort of like, you know, reps that you need in order to be an open source project maintainer. Like we need maintainers basically. 
But I think, you know, I don't know what it is that we do to get there. But I mean, part of it is like a cultural commitment to trying to take on new, you know, non full time Postgres developer contributors projects as like your main feature for that release, you're going to like try to shepherd that through and that person maybe will be the author, but like, you know, that is your first priority. Like, I think stuff like that is easier said than done, but I think it's, and that, but that's hard, right? Like if you're employed to work on Postgres full time, then maybe like having a feature that you didn't author be the thing that you work on full time isn't as easy of a proposition, right? So. Okay. It, what I'm hearing is this is a whole nother episode, right? There could be a whole conversation with a bunch of people here who are um, committers and contributors and um, talk about different ways to evolve. Um, I know that I, I, I spend about three hours to four hours every week having this conversation with all the stakeholders. So I think even an episode is going to be hard <laughs> to do justice to this topic because this is a genuinely hard problem. That does sound yeah. like a good idea, though, to revisit it. Um, but I think um, if it's okay, Claire, maybe we we um, move to that question you you mentioned earlier. I was I'm really curious to hear um, what is missing from Postgres to work well in cloud services. Um, Burak, do you want to start us off with that? Uh, sure, sure. I, I mean, uh, well, there's lots of things we can do or improve in Postgres, but I'll, I'll specifically mention two things. Uh, and actually, both of these things are kind of we name dropped uh, about them in in our like previous questions. One of them is extensions, and you know uh, Postgres is designed to be extensible from the very first day. And uh, today, like Postgres has hundreds or even thousands of extensions because of this like the initial design principle. But uh, unfortunately, many of them are not well maintained. So they either lack support for uh, latest Postgres versions, or they have some security vulnerabilities. And because of that, as a cloud provider, uh, sometimes we are not willing to support new extensions. Like one example is like we for for commodity for Postgres. For a very long time, we choose to not support one of the very key extensions because we, we know that there, there's a security vulnerability in that extension. And now it is fixed and we are incorporating that to our service. But I, I think uh, what, what I realized so far is that if the extension is not uh, you know, backed by a company, who has some it is um, but not not for the all extension, but it, it is very likely that that those extensions will be uh, outdated because Postgres develops very fast and with new versions like with with each version, if your extension is doing something non-trivial, you need to do updates or maintain your extension. This this doesn't happen so easily. And because of that, extensions may stay outdated or not support the latest uh, Postgres versions, or they might have unfixed security vulnerabilities, which reduce the uh, adoption. And also, even for an extension that is well-maintained today, it, uh, th there's no guarantee that it will stay well-maintained in the future. Uh, and that also adds additional, that, that makes cloud providers more conservative. Okay, so before you go on to whatever's next in your list, let's. I just want to mm -hmm. shine a light on what you just said about well-maintained extensions. Um, there are definitely extensions out there that are well-maintained that don't have a commercial entity or interest behind them. Like, I don't know, the one that comes to mind for me is T-Digest by Thomas Vondra, like, who I think yeah. is one of the lead maintainers and is super useful for calculating percentiles and... Um, I imagine a lot of the cloud vendors support that extension. So, I mean, that's the challenge is that you have to, as a, as a cloud vendor, you have to decide. And um, there's a lot of choices about what you are going to support in your offering. Um, and you have to be knowledgeable about what is well-maintained and what is not. 
Yeah, def definitely. I, 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 by you, I definitely agree that like, there are extensions out there who are well maintained and not backed by commercial entity. Uh, like TDIJS is one example. PostGIS is like one of the quite big and important uh, example. Uh, and as a cloud provider, uh, you you definitely need to be part of the community to know that those extensions are actually well maintained. So basically, there is a huge extension vetting process that we use to decide on whether we should support this extension or not in our service. So yeah, that that's the that's the one. Burak, do you have any any ideas about what can Postgres community do for extensions, um, standards, frameworks? Um, I, I know security is a problem for uh, just just generally the, just having a standard for security across the extensions. Uh, someone on the uh, someone on the uh, chat, by the way, I want to uh, mention this. Uh, brought up timescale PG spot, which has support for detecting vulner vulnerabilities in extension scripts, which is great. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think that I was going to. Uh, mentioned the same thing. I think this is one uh, the timescales uh, PG spot. It's a re really good project to you know at least detect those vulnerabilities. But at the end, I think it is not just specific to Postgres, but for any open source community. Uh, if you are not like like basically all the open source community, it is that because there are lots of uh, people who volunteer their time and effort to make things better or like to publish new things like to do the support but eventually i think the like open source community also didn't solve this problem right because uh, like if they're not backed by a commercial entity like as if you are a single developer doing some development in your uh, on your laptop on your own at some point, there is no reason to keep up other than, you know, other than you wanting to do good for the community. I, I think GitHub also started, you know, uh, incentive uh, and uh, program to support those open source projects. Uh, maybe more extensions can be part of that somehow, so that like the authors and maintainers would have more reason to, uh, you know, support and maintain the extensions they created. And I also, think you're, you're yeah. talking about the GitHub sponsors program, I believe. Yes, thank, thanks for uh, reminding me the name. I, I couldn't remind, uh, remember the name. Uh, that, that's, that's one thing. And I, I think like all these maintainers and authors, they really deserve to you know, get well compensated because of the contributions they make. Because like, you know, you made an extension and it might be used by lots of different companies in lots of different projects. So I think that there's, there's this aspect of, you know, uh, having those extensions, keeping those extensions well maintained. So somebody who's listening to this episode for the first time and isn't that familiar with Postgres extensions, um, I just want to point out that while you're, we're, you're focused right now, I believe, on this, this questions of which extensions should cloud vendors support and all of the choices you have to make and paying attention to which ones are well-maintained and which ones aren't. And there are absolutely some challenges, but I also want to just give a big plus one to the original design of Postgres back in what it was at 1985 or something like that. And that first design doc, which had as the second or third tenant, right, that there will be extensibility because that's what's driven a lot of innovation. Like Citus wouldn't exist as it is, right? This, this, extension that enables you to use Postgres in a distributed fashion. Um, PostGIS is probably the number one most popular tool out there for geospatial um, data types and all the people with these different GIS applications. Like some of these extensions are hugely powerful and they've really added a lot to Postgres and they would not have become part of the core, right? Especially with the, you know, scaling issues around that, those development cycles. So I just want to say plus one for extensions. They're awesome. 
even with these challenges. Do you agree yeah. or disagree with me, Barack? Definitely, like I'm, I'm a huge fan of extensions. But obviously, I'm biased as someone who worked on Citus and Hyperlog log extension. But yeah, like a huge plus one for extensions. I, I, I really love them. Which is not to say that everything's perfect, and you know, clearly, yeah. clearly there are some challenges here. Yeah, yeah. Were there um, other areas that you meant to call out in terms of challenges with um, integrating Postgres and cloud services? Uh, yeah, one there is one more, but this this is not in terms of uh, challenges, but I think something that we as a cloud providers should do, and this is also mentioned a bit in the uh, previous questions that. Like Postgres has lots of knobs and settings and configurations and like th there is like lots of them. And as a new user, people are usually clueless about how to get their how to get best of their database. And also like there's also lots of diagnosing information in Postgres uh, tables and like the statistic views and like for example like cache. Uh, cache ratio or long running queries or IO statistics and like lots of other things. And I think this is falls down on more of a cloud provider's responsibility than the Postgres core community because I think Postgres core community they provide lots of useful information. But as a cloud providers, we we are usually uh, a bit behind on using them or exposing them to customers. So like one example, like I, I know Melanie in, in this, uh, like Melanie did uh, great work on like IO statistic and overall like the statistics framework. Uh, but at least so far, we, we didn't utilize that in our cloud service and we, we definitely should. So I, I think this is more on the cloud service, cloud service providers part to you know, make those information more visible to users, uh, like easier to discover and easier to you know make decisions based on those statistics. So and using those information to you know allow making changes and also even guide users to make some changes so that they can get best performance uh, out of their database. I Sorry. I was just going to say that Samai even mentioned earlier the need to expose even more statistics, make more statistics available to users and to cloud providers. Um, and I'm just curious, and we can't go into this conversation today, but how many people out there are already starting to use ChatGPT, right, to try to interpret the statistics and figure out what to do? Because once you have those stats, you still have to make decisions as to how your configuration needs to change. Yeah, I think um, there's like kind of three uh, stages to this, right? The first one is uh, just exposing the stacks. The second is using those stats and making recommendations. And the third one is just doing those changes on behalf of a customer or a user, right? And I think there are improvements to be made in all three departments. I mean, by the way, just to answer your question for a specific case, uh, I did try ChatGPT for some explain plans. And for basic explain plans, it actually gives good suggestions around creating indexes or missing indexes on columns and stuff. So I was, it was interesting. I was fascinated by that. There's also a lot of projects that not related to AI, but that are trying to use machine learning to like suggest and potentially alter configurations like AutoTune. And I know, well, Microsoft has an internal project MSR does to uh, use machine learning to tune and to base and use as input the whole fleet. Um, I think they're focusing on SQL Server and then some of Postgres now, but to be able to actually come up with suggestions for, for tuning. And then there's, of course, like all those extensions that do index advising and things like that that are not using machine learning. But um, so there's definitely like a push for a level of auto-tuning and uh, making suggestions but i think like that i get why that's happening in the larger ecosystem but i think like as developers contributing to postgres there's a lot we could do just uh 
using sort of more traditional like database like concepts that were invented 20 or 30 years ago to do more adaptive uh optimization and tuning so awesome well, I want to say thank you. Pino and I together want to say thank you to all four of you, Melanie, Samai, Abdullah, and Barak for joining us today. Um, I think that this was a pretty aggressive topic that we could probably talk about for hours. I know there are these other podcasters out there who do these seven-hour conversations, and it, it, this feels like it could have been a seven-hour conversation. Um but everybody does have a day job to get back to. Um, so we should probably wrap. Um, but... What's this I hear about um, stickers being available? Oh, yeah, very important. So anybody on the chat that's um, happening right now, if you would like some cool Citus Ellie Corn stickers, the Ellie Corn is the open source mascot for Citus. It is part elephant you know, in homage to the Postgres mascot and part unicorn because Citus makes Postgres magic by scaling it out horizontally. Um, they come in lots of colors and patterns and just tag Carol S and let her know if you would like some and she'll, um, we as our team will work with you to, to get it sent off in the mail. I think we have them for five people today. So anybody who wants stickers, go for it. Oh, does um, that mean it, that hosts and guests should hang back? <laughs> um, right, so the other thing is just a reminder May 3rd will be the next episode of Path to CitusCon um, on our Discord channel you'll see calendar link soon if you want to add it to your calendar and next week is CitusCon an event for Postgres with 37 talks there are two live streams, the America's live stream on Tuesday, Pacific time, the EMEA live stream on Wednesday, European time, and then 25 talks that drop at the start of the event. And the talks are awesome. So please, I hope, I hope you all join us. And the virtual hallway track will be here on Discord. Thank you. Thank you, Pino. Thank you, Barrett. And thanks to all our thanks guests. Thanks for having us. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks all.